If during the singing you hear the worst male voice you've ever heard in your life, that would be me. They, we've, we're finally got, we didn't get on this last week, we got mic'd up this week so I can stray a little bit and, and Gene and I have reached an agreement and we just keep it on instead of me controlling it, which I often forget to do, that I'll just leave it on and he will control it. But if he forgets and I'm singing on there, you'll, you'll be sorry and Gene will be sorry too, I promise. I'll mention him publicly. We, uh, several people said, well, last week and so forth, well, Dan, you, you have a voice that, you know, projects well and we can hear and so forth. And what they're really saying is, Dan, you have a really big mouth. That's what they're saying. When my kids were young in grade school, and we lived in a small town in northwest Missouri, they, uh, I would go down every week or two and, and eat lunch with them, and they had kind of a, just a long, not very wide school with one central corridor. And it, I'm guessing probably from there to the end of our building that away, uh, down there toward Carrington, that's a, probably about how long the the uh, hallway was, and of course back then it was tile, one carpeted, and so forth. And the, just as you walked in, clear on one end of the building was the uh, secretary's desk where you had to check in the principal and so forth. And I would walk in the door and just say uh, hi to them. I'm here to eat lunch with my kids, and and the kids were clear at the other end of the hall in the classroom. And sometimes the door was open and it wasn't. And as soon as I walked in there, the kids would tell me and said, hey, I'm here to eat lunch with my kids. Their friends would say, clear down the hallway in classroom and say, hey, Jenny, your dad's here to eat lunch with you. They could hear my voice that far away. So if it's too loud, I'm sorry. That, God gave me that for a reason, I think. We're talking about making a difference. And last week was about God making a difference in our lives. He wants to do that and really... Um, it should and needs to be that way. If, if God's in our lives, then God's making a difference in our lives. No question about that. Now, again, I want to underscore, I'm, I'm uh, excited about the offering that we gave to Gideon's that week. And like I said by way of announcement, let us pray that and, and Doug was alluding to this as well, this exact kind of thing. Let us pray that the dollars we give as a church, you specifically, that go directly 100%, there's not a charity or something that 50% of it goes to the actual mission of the charity or whatever. This is the people that do this do it on a volunteer basis, and every dollar goes toward uh, buying Bibles and placing Bibles in different settings around the world. Let us pray that the dollars we give specifically, God uses to make a difference in people's lives. That's our prayer to that end. And I sure appreciate you all giving that generously. We uh, want to talk about this morning um, making God, us making a difference in God's plan and um, how God decided to 
and yes, doesn't need to, Doug mentioned that, but decided to, that's his way of making a difference through people, through us. Maybe you already know some of what your role is in that. Maybe you don't yet. Maybe just part of it. Let's look into that this morning. Of course, our culture wants often to blame God and denigrate God and marginalize Christianity. And they want us to keep busy with things that may make a difference socially, but not necessarily or, or even at all eternally. Well, God's about the eternal. And as we'll see this morning, he may use meeting social needs or physical needs or whatever, but as a means to meet spiritual needs. Last week, God making a difference in our lives. Today, God making a, us making a difference in God's plan. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 6, and I want to start with verse 1. Likely a very familiar story to you. Um, if you've grown up in church, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, this is one used often. This is the only sign like this, miracle like this, that's found in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John records that sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him. And they followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick when he healed people. And they wanted to see more of that. They were amazed at that. Maybe even a few of them to be healed themselves. So Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, his closest followers. And the Jewish Passover feast was near. It was close. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him and the other disciples, you see, because he already knew what he was going to do. He already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip said, Eight months' wages. A, a, a person could work, work for eight months for two-thirds of a year and, and still not be able to buy enough food for everybody here to even have one bite. And he was right. It's true. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But notice this question. I like this. I never really noticed it before. But how far will they go among so many? I, uh, because I had extra supplies having bought them <laughs> for this occasion, you did the devotional at Upward yesterday with uh, the kids about this, and I used this for an illustration. Now, this boy likely had some kind of pouch like this. Now, his doesn't say Jerusalem on it, okay? That's, that's a modern addition, but he probably had some kind of leather pouch like this. 
um, cruder, would have been made on, out of some kind of uh, animal skin without the hair and stitched together like this somehow, and then it would have had some kind of handle on it. That's probably something not different from that. And, and I expect he gave it voluntarily or they asked him or whatever. Now, it, it didn't come with napkins and plates, but I did this so the young man that loaned me the pouch, would, I wouldn't return it to him stinking, okay? So he probably had a lunch that was kind of something like this. They say his loaves of bread would have been similar to crackers. Maybe even a little closer would be like a biscuit that didn't raise or rise and was kind of hard, you know, like a hard small biscuit, but something about that size. So he had five of those, okay? And then he had two small fish. And, of course, that's just a big sardine, right? Now, I got to warn you, after service, you probably do not want to shake hands with me. Okay? Do that thing like you have a cold and just don't do that, okay? So like a sardine like this. So this was the little boy's lunch or what he brought or it was sent with him so that he could eat for himself. And one of the disciples noticed that or recruited him or whatever and simply said to Jesus, well, first of all, the first one said, well, you know, a person could work eight months, most of a year and not make enough during that eight months to buy food for everybody even to have a bite. And when you do the math and try to figure out how much a wage in that day and all that was, that, that's absolutely true. And the other one found this boy with a lunch. He probably was close at hand and said, well, we've got this. But then he asked that key question that I just love. It kind of has two parts that I want to look at this morning. Okay, we've got this little lunch here, but... How far would this go, this little lunch, among so many? Okay, there's this huge crowd, and there's this small lunch, and that's not going to work. The first thing that you notice there is when he said, among so many. Now, he's talking about this great crowd and a physical need, but the first thing we notice there is that the need is great. Now just to put it on the kids level yesterday, I said, how many of you have been to a Pittsburgh State football game? And the vast majority of the kids all day long in six groups raised their hands. And probably most of us have been to at least one Pittsburgh State game. And when they're playing a big rival or, or they're doing well and, and moving toward a championship or whatever and the stadium is full, there's almost 10,000 people there, or about half the population of Pittsburgh. That's probably about how many people were there that day. Scripture records there were 5,000 men, not counting the ladies and the kids and so forth. So, so if you can picture that crowd at a Pitt, Pitt State football game, about that many people, give or take 1,000 or two or whatever, were there that day on that hillside, to listen to Jesus, to catch sight of Jesus. And they had a little boy's lunch. Now Matthew records in his account, and remember it's the only story found in all four Gospels. Matthew records Jesus had compassion on them. Remember as one of our key verses for this series, we were using Jude 22 that says in the RSV, have compassion, making a difference. 
Here Jesus had compassion on them. They'd been with him for a good bit of the day, wanting to hear him teach, see him work miracles, and Jesus had compassion on them. We're told in the different places that he really did three things that day. He taught them, of course. That's the spiritual part. He taught them, it says, many things. He fed them, which we're talking about. And he also healed them. He healed their sick. Some of the ones that had physical needs. Besides their hunger, he took care of that. I believe, didn't say it like this, but I believe he met their physical needs, both the hunger and, and even to some extent the sickness, so that he could address their spiritual needs. Because just soon after, he would teach them about the being the bread of life, a different kind of bread. Now, you see there that not only is the need great, but God cares deeply about the needs. Um, Jesus, obviously, you know the story, took this little boy's lunch and young boy's lunch and, and, and fed all of these people. They had all they wanted, and they had quite a bit of food left over even. So he multiplied this food and, and fed them. Now, what could you do with a lunch? What could I do with a lunch? I could take somebody out for lunch. I could invite someone over for lunch, maybe after church. I could go to school. Most of the time you can still do that and eat with a friend or a neighbor or a grandchild for lunch. I could pay for somebody else's lunch. I could even skip lunch and give the money to Gideon's or church or whatever. There's a bunch more ideas that I, that we could do with a lunch than just what Jesus did. Now, I just want to illustrate. That's just ideas to do with a meal. Imagine what God can do with our car, our money, our house, our time. One of the great stories um, that happened uh, during my ministry that I'll never forget, Orville and I talk about this every once in a while, is uh, we had... This is one of those things where, and I hope you have some in your life that you look back on and you say, you know, that there's absolutely no way that this can be coincidence. It can only be providence. We had a family with a son who'd had um, multiple strokes and, and, uh, due to a congenital brain malformation. And uh, he was in his early 20s and so forth and became progressively debilitated. And he, as a matter of fact, Eric just died a month or two ago. And uh, it came to the point where he could no longer walk at least well and safely and stuff. But he still wanted to do things and was doing things. And Eric was one of the great ambassadors for Christ that you'll ever meet, even with his disability. 
but they needed a, a van to transport him in so that he could be in his, his motorized wheelchair, take him place to place and so forth. And they were pretty expensive. Tens of thousands of dollars, which they did not have. And they came in and, and told us about that need and asked us to pray for it and so forth. And just a day or two later, a day or two later, a fellow in the church came in and he said, Dan, uh, my dad uh, was in a situation where he needed a, this uh, van to haul him around in. And he, as you know, he just recently passed away, and I'd like to donate this to somebody who needs this. I have never in 37 years of ministry had anybody ask for one of those before. I've never had anybody volunteer one of those before. And that happened within just a day or two of each other. God putting that need and that provision for a need together. Only God can do that. It's not coincidence, it's providence. How far will they go among so many? That how far will they go means, you know, we've got this little boy's lunch here, but we really don't have much to work with. There just isn't much here. And as you're looking around the crowd, we're looking around the football stadium at all those people, and we're sitting here holding this meager lunch going, no, that's not going to work. And, and by the way, I know what you're thinking. It, all the concession stands are closed down too. They can't get anything there, okay? How far will they go? We don't have much to work with. There's not very much food. There's not nearly enough money. Heard that before? We proceed that way a lot of times, don't we? Our human inclination is to doubt, to think, hey, I can see this. I can't see that happening. Not with this. And to not believe it unless we can see it. Recently, over Christmas break, we went to visit our daughter and son-in-law and grandkids in Barbados. And uh, two of the students there at the school were from the island of Antigua. And to my knowledge, and I you know, know a little bit about the Caribbean and so forth, the islands and the churches and so forth, not a lot, but a little. To my knowledge, there was no church and, and no our type of church there, and, and no Christians that would have come to Wise as Bible college students. And so I asked Bryce one day, okay, you've got these students from Antigua. I didn't know we had any churches there. And he said, you know, some of the students from here in the past, I'm not sure it's, if it's when he was director or before that when someone else was, but some of our students here went there Antigua, and started a couple of churches where there were none. And these students now are a product of those churches that our students started on the island of Antigua. And I knew where all that started. Hardly anybody else did. Bryce didn't know. 
It started about 66 or 7 years ago, long before those students or even their parents were born. And back at that time, there were no Walgreens and there weren't even Walmarts and things like that that had pharmacies. There were only little corner drugstores, and you remember those. We had them here. And a minister of a small church in that community, in that suburb of Columbus, would go in and get his medicine at that pharmacy. And he would talk to, and he met, and learned the name of the lady that worked the register and so forth, and helped out in the store. It was a part-time job while she was putting her husband, my dad, through school, through Ohio State University. And Louis Detrow would go back and on occasion and talk to her and get to know her better and then began inviting her to church. And eventually, my mom and dad went to that church and they became Christians and they became active developed a passion for working with the youth, with the young people there, and then they moved out into the country and became part of a different church where they continued working with the youth, but then dad became a deacon and an elder, and in 1975, much to my chagrin, being a sophomore in high school, I absolutely hated it, but they decided to go and become missionaries in Jamaica, and about four years later, 40 years ago now, they decided to move to a much smaller island and start a Bible college. And that's where that came from, not from mom and dad, not from Bryce. That came from Louis Detro going into a pharmacy and talking to the lady there and inviting them to church. All because... God wanted 60 or 70 years later islands that did not have a church to have one. That's how you start with a lunch and look at a crowd of 10,000 people and ask God to use that to make a difference. Now I hope you have stories in your life like that that you can look back farther than just what you see right now and say, wow, God started that in a way I would never, ever, ever imagine. I had the opportunity this last summer, and I wind down. My wife thought I was crazy as all get out, but I found out where I, across the street neighbor who had been a Sunday school teacher of mine when I was a little kid. I uh, lived and they had moved from central Ohio out to uh, southern Colorado, other places, but wound up there. And they were 86 or 7 years old, and she had had open heart surgery since then, wasn't in great health and all that kind of thing. And I, I thought, I'm going to call them, and if it works out, I'm going to go visit them before I never get a chance ever to do that again on earth. And I went in their home and spent a couple of hours with them. And she was my Sunday school teacher when I was little. And she said, Dan, she said, I can't even tell you how many Sundays you would come and sit in Sunday school and I would teach and you would be the only student. 
the only student. Now, you know what we do nowadays. I'd probably do it. We'd go join another class where there was more kids. Or we'd put on a video or whatever. We'd think, well, there's just one kid there. And Doris didn't do that. She poured her heart out. That kind of thing is how you take a little lunch and stare at a crowd of 10,000 people or whatever and invite God to make a difference. Again, I hope you have a story like that. If not, I want to invite you this morning, starting right now, to start a story like that through your kids through your grandkids, through your neighbors, through the four or five dollars that you put on the Bible to buy Bibles for some people in countries, that people that you'll never meet in countries you'll never visit. That's how God takes a lunch and reaches thousands. We're going to sing our him of decision in just a moment, and I want to invite you to think about that, about how God can use you to make a difference in his plan. And we have to be willing. We have to invite him. Let's do that this morning. Let's stand and sing together.